0: back in the fur shed this is the trapping today podcast i'm jeremiah wood great to be here great to have you tuning in the podcast is brought to you by kotz brothers lures k-a-a-t-z b-r-o-s.com at kotz bros you can find books dvds lures baits traps cable stakes and earth anchors Basically, everything you need to get started on the trap line you can find from Kotz Bros. They have a great website, easy to order, great guys, and fast shipping, excellent service, and competitive prices. Where can you go wrong? Check them out at cotsbros.com, K A A T Z B R O S. And speaking of them, we are closing in on 100 episodes of the podcast. That is pretty exciting. Just a few more to go, and we're going to do a big giveaway with Cots Bros. It is going to involve a collection of Cots Brothers DVDs. So not just a DVD, a collection of DVDs, a very large collection. I think it will be pretty substantial, and whoever wins this thing is going to be um, in going to be pretty excited. I don't know exactly what we're going to do as far as determining the winner. I haven't decided that yet. Funny thing is when you getting prepared for trapping season and getting into things and trying to get everything wrapped up in the fall, it's kind of like I I have almost no time to actually stop and just sit down and think and brainstorm and, and come up with new ideas. So, you know, just kind of doing the run-of-the-mill stuff, trying to stay ahead of everything or keep up. And it, I was thinking today that sometimes the best ideas come when I'm like actually out trapping, driving out to the line and just sitting in the truck all by myself and thoughts rattling around in my head and there's nothing to get distracted with. And a lot of times that's where I've come up with ideas. That's where the book For Profit actually comes came about was riding around the truck and thinking, you know, what what would people want? What are what are people asking me about on trapping today? And what is it that I could provide that that people would would be looking to learn more about or or what what kind of resource? And I had all kinds of ideas associated with that, but the one that came up was everybody's asking about fur prices and wants to know about fur prices. Well, fur prices are difficult because they depend on so many different things. And you can't just quote somebody the price for a coyote. It depends on where that animal was caught, what part of the country it comes from, how the pelt was taken care of, there are so what year it is, what the market is doing at that particular time. There's so many different variables. I thought, well what if I write a book that will help people better understand how the whole thing works, how this fur market actually functions, and get a better handle on why their fur, some fur is worth more than other fur and uh, how you can kind of help better learn for yourself what the fur prices should be for what you're trapping. So that's where the book Fur Profit came in, and I released that a couple of years ago. Uh, Actually, the official release was last year, but um, that book is, of course, still available for sale. You can pick that up at trappingtoday.com. You can find it on Amazon.com. If you order it from trappingtoday.com, that goes uh, straight to me, and I, I ship it out. If you order from Amazon, they print on demand and they'll print you a copy. It's gonna be the same price as my website, so just whatever you're comfortable with. Actually, I get the same amount of money, the same amount of profit either way. I don't know how that worked out, but anyway, it doesn't, it doesn't make a whole lot of difference, but uh, th- that's great either way. Uh, and, and of course, we love if you support the people who are carrying the book, like our friends at Cots Bros, our friends at PCS Outdoors, F and T fur harvesters trading post. If you check those guys out, and uh, I think uh, Sterling Fur Keith Winkler has some books too. And and if you buy from them, that's that's also a great uh, great indicator to them that you know these books are moving a little bit, and uh, th- that's that's always good to have things moving and not sitting on shelves. So pick up a copy of Fur Profit if you haven't already. But where was I getting with that time? Time and thinking and your brain moving around. I haven't quite figured out what we're going to do for that giveaway. So I thought about like maybe uh, Apple Podcast Reviews, but we did do that already. I don't know. Maybe we'll do that again. Uh, that, that's that been pretty awesome. we we got like 98 or 99 reviews right now. So I'm going to pull that up and see where we're at. That's that's really cool yeah we got ninety eight ratings and four point nine stars so any more ratings and reviews are always appreciated that just bumps up us up and helps more people find out about the podcast the podcast is also brought to you by fur harvesters auction incorporated fur harvesters is where the world comes to buy wild fur fur harvesters is the wild fur auction they uh, deal primarily in wild fur the guys that run the auction are trappers they run trap lines themselves same people sorting your fur are the people that are catching fur and, and working fur up themselves and have their fur in the auction as well so they, they really understand what it's like to be a trapper and they work real hard to get get the best prices for our fur. You can find more about them at FurHarvesters.com Now. I had some questions and we're going to get into this a little bit. There has been a lot of talk about North American fur auctions and I'm not going to get negative on anybody. I'm not going to uh, trash NAFA. NAFA has sold a lot of wild fur for a lot of trappers for a lot of years. And it, you know, even though Fur Harvesters is sponsoring this podcast, and and I I do like Fur Harvesters, I still ship occasionally ship fur to Nafa, and I think I think trappers should support both fur auction houses because it's good. It's always good to have multiple auction houses and more outlets for our fur. That being said, there is a lot of talk right now about Nafa because a lot of trappers are having issues with bounce checks that came in from NAFA. So they, 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 it's been a big concern. Obviously, the first thing that comes to mind when you think, well, I'd, I just got a check for my fur, I go to the bank and cash it, uh, the check bounced. Bank charged me a fee, money comes out of my account. What's going on? Well, it's an incredibly low fur market. The ranch mink situation is very, very bad. Ranch, mink ranchers are losing a lot of money. And NAFA, the vast majority of the fur NAFA sells is ranch fur. So they're obviously having, you know, it would be impossible for them not to have issues with finances at this low point in the market. Now, I don't know whether that's tied to the checks bouncing. They've, they've told people that uh, they switch banks and they're going to resolve it all next month. Uh, who knows? I, I don't want to speculate. I don't want to put negative ideas in people's heads or promote some of the negative thoughts that people are saying. But at the same time, I would, I would always urge people to proceed with caution when, when there is smoke When you see smoke, uh, oftentimes there's a fire. Maybe that's not always the case, but but just always be cautious. So I get an email the other day from a trapper who was asking about this with the NAFA issue, and he's always shipped to NAFA, and he wanted to ask about shipping to fur harvesters. So he's actually in Oklahoma, and fur harvesters doesn't have depots in Oklahoma. Unfortunately for you Southern guys, there, there really is not a lot of uh, you know. You get a Grunwald truck that'll come through in a lot of those states, and and they are doing a few extra routes now that they're they're pushing down south, which helps. You might have a few local buyers, but they probably aren't going to be paying much. And to to get you referred to the the NAFA or FHA, you know, it's you got to be close to to an agent now. This guy was telling me about the prices, uh, Craig was telling me about prices that he was being quoted from his fur buyer and asked about, you know, whether it would be worth trying out for harvesters, and he's a long way from any of the pickups. So, when I saw the prices that he was throwing out there for bobcats and coyotes, even though it's southern fur and... The, obviously the the quality of the fur is going to be much lower it, uh, Craig honestly I would be sending fur to FHA maybe not all your fur but for uh, for the the price you gave me on bobcats and coyotes I would say you absolutely need to get that up to fur harvesters send it the, what I like about this is you send it to the auction and you've got 20, 30 who knows how? depends on how many people are there There are many different buyers in the room that are all, they've all seen representative lots of the fur that you're selling and they're all competing with each other. So if the fur really isn't worth that much, then no one's going to buy it. But if it is worth something and there's more than one person that knows that, the auction environment is where you get the best value. Because if that fur you know, if you're getting quoted $15 for a bobcat and there are two fur agents uh, or two, you know, two fur buyers up at fur harvesters. They're sitting in the auction room and they know they can sell those bobcats for $45. You think they're going to stop at, at 15 when they're bidding. Um, they're going to go up to the point where they're comfortable. They're going to make a bit of profit. Uh, for their time and efforts. So in in that case, who knows, maybe you get double of what what you're getting locally for your cats. And maybe you only get 15, and if you only get 15, that means that's that's probably what they're worth. So that's what I would do. Now, the challenge is, you are in Oklahoma, you don't have a whole lot of places to send your fur. As far as I can tell, the nearest uh, receiver is Lee Steinmeier, who is in Kansas. And he, as I don't think he runs any routes. Now, the first thing to do, because I've, I've run into this before. So, you're going to go to furharvesters.com, And you go to, there's a bunch of tabs. You go to trappers and ranchers. And you go down to uh, pick up schedules. You click on pick up schedules and you're going to get a spot where you have, you can click on Canadian or U.S., You go to U.S. Pickup Schedules, and you have every state where they have pickup schedules for fur harvesters. Uh, It's uh, Alaska, Idaho, Illinois, Indiana, Iowa, Kansas, Maine, Michigan, Minnesota, Montana, Nebraska, New Hampshire, New York, Ohio, Pennsylvania, South Dakota, Vermont, Washington, and Wisconsin. Now, those states are where the receivers are located. Now, if I click on Maine... You know we're fortunate because we get quite a few trappers here and there's the fur is fairly decent a lot of people ship the fur harvesters in maine they have this pickup schedule and they go to uh for just an example for 2018 2019 Saturday January 12 and Saturday April 6 the 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 truck can comes to Old Town, Bangor, Dixmont, Fairfield, Augusta, Lewiston, South Paris, uh, back to Dixfield, Farmington, and Madison. Uh, other dates: January 9th and April 13th. They went to Lincoln, Princeton, Callis, Pembroke, Machias, Beddington, and the 20th, January 22nd, and April 16th. They went to Sanford, Scarborough, Yarmouth, Thompson, Wiscasset, Union, Belfast, and Bucksport. So with that, that is just. Uh, guys running around in trucks picking up fur all over the state. That we're very fortunate to have that. Now, if if you can't make one of those spots, which which I run into, I you know work and I got a lot of stuff going on. I can't just go two three hours. Uh, the closest one for me is a little over two hours away. So I can't just run down there and and spend four, four or five hours out of my day um, on a, a regular day. So I call the guy up that is the, the agent for Maine and uh, for us is Denny Larson down in Williamsburg and I called him up one time and, and he says, oh yeah, I'm going up to Patton uh, this weekend. You, if you want to meet me down there, you know we can do that. So sometimes you just just calling the uh, receiving agent. You can easily set up a place and time if they just happen to be going to your area. If that is not the case, here's what I've done. Um, It it may seem odd, but I think a lot of us overlook this. The U.S. Postal Service comes to my house every day, and they go to his house every day too. And it's going to cost a little bit of money, but I think it can be worth it in the long run. So Craig was talking about bobcats and coyotes. You got Lee Steinmeier in Kansas. If you can... You know, you put up those cats and coyotes, you roll those guys up or fold them up a few times, you can put a lot of bobcats and coyotes in a box, and they don't weigh a whole lot. Now, the only thing I've had issues with shipping is beaver. I've shipped beaver to Garrett Volk in North Dakota, and uh, it was a dozen beavers cost me like 50 bucks. Um... So so there was that that was a little higher than I would like, but it was from Maine to North Dakota uh, Oklahoma to Kansas might not be that bad and those those uh, furs probably don't weigh quite as much so what I would do is try to you know grab a box, throw a bunch of pelts in there and bring it over to the post office and just or or if you got a scale at home uh, you know measure it and weigh it and get an estimate on what it would cost to send it to your closest and if you're not in Oklahoma anywhere you are go to furharvesters.com, click on one of those states that's closest to you and figure out where those guys are if you can't make one of those pickup locations see the 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 name and address for every agent is going to be there on that uh, file on on that sheet with the pickup information See what it would cost to ship it to those guys via either U.S. Postal Service or sometimes FedEx and UPS can be pretty competitive as well. Uh, check it out. Give it a shot because I, I really think it's worth trying trying out and sending your fur to the auction. If nothing else, just to make sure that you're being treated fairly locally. Um, and uh, and see what, what that fur is really worth. So, Craig, I hope that helps, and uh, thanks for the other stuff that you emailed about. Appreciate that. All right. I Okay, a few things I, I thought I'd just run down. I got a bunch of stuff which is kind of housekeeping tonight because I you know we did quite a few interviews the last few episodes and had not had a chance to catch up on a lot of stuff. So I just wanted to give you an idea of what I'm doing with, here with trapping today how i'm keeping the lights on recently and maybe get into a little bit of other things and then we'll go into listener emails so just kind of keeping the lights on so obviously we have two sponsors to the podcast and appreciate them that goes a long way and appreciate if you guys support them and uh, i i do have my eyes and ears open for additional sponsors i haven't reached out very uh, much lately but if you do have uh, something you want to pitch me just let me know and we can talk details. Um, The long distance call lure that's something that I've been working on uh, did you know made a couple batches of it last year it's a really good lure I'm very confident in it it works very effectively and uh, I I continue to sell that I made some recently I'm sold I sold about half of a little close close to half of what I made a couple weeks ago. still have that available and I'll keep making that until we get later in the season if either I get a little low on supply or if I I just get um, to where it's late in the season and I don't want to make any more because I don't want to have it sitting on the shelf. Uh, that long distance lure can only be found in two places on my website trappingtoday.com. You can click there uh, on, there's a big picture there, LDC lure, and you can purchase right from the website. It's a secure site. It's easy to purchase from there. And I ship that out. Um, And the other way is just go on eBay. You can buy it from eBay. I believe I've got the same price as $25 for a four ounce bottle uh, free shipping. And uh, I only sell it in a four ounce bottle. So you can pick that up, support me and the podcast and everything else. Um, The Martin and Fisher pelts. I do have Martin and Fisher pelts that are tanned. They come out of Moyle, Mink, and Tannery. Really, really nice quality. They're beautiful, beautiful pelts. I've got those for sale. You can get a Martin for $75 or a Fisher for $100. And I think that is a smoking deal. Um, just let me know I also have a few damaged Martin that you could pick up for a reduced price. Email me at jrodwood at gmail.com. J-R-O-D W-O-O-D at gmail.com to purchase one of those. I already mentioned fur profit book. Um, that's always appreciated if you don't have a copy of that. If you buy two or three, I don't care. Uh, affiliate links, something that I haven't mentioned much before. But when you when you go on, if you listen to the podcast and you look at the show notes, um, I'll have a few things just talking about what was covered in the podcast. And sometimes I'll have a few links on what we talked about. Say I brought, I mentioned a book, for instance, or a certain piece of trapping equipment. Oftentimes I'll have a link there. If you click on that link, let's say I mention, I've mentioned muskrat trappers guide in the past that's a real good book I'll probably mention it again here soon if you go to the show notes and you click on that link and you buy a book muskrat trappers guide if you buy a copy of that book I get I might get like 50 cents so what it does is it, it kind of it doesn't cost you anything different it's basically just uh, Amazon or whoever else is paying me to refer a customer to them to buy the book. And that works for a bunch of different products. So uh, in a a lot of cases, if you go, uh, the one thing that's been huge is I did a review on flushing knives uh, last uh, spring and that has uh, kind of exploded. A lot of people have clicked on, have found that review and read through it and clicked through and bought flushing knives on Amazon. And uh, that's, that's been big. That's, that's really helped out a lot. So, so things like that. If you see links like that on the site on trappingtoday.com or on the podcast. Um, and and if, you, if you do have to purchase something, if you click through the links, it does help. And finally, I'm working on the Walter Arnold Project. I haven't mentioned it in a while, but that is the book uh, on the writings of legendary trapper Walter Arnold from Woods of Maine. Trapper back in the 1930s, 40s, and 50s, and, and on from there. Arnold was, was a true legend, and he wrote a lot of stories, a lot of stuff that's been lost for many decades, and, and no one really knows they exist, and I'm trying to bring that back. So if you notice on trappingtoday.com, occasionally I have an article up, uh, a Walter Arnold article, and what I've done is I've I've typed that all out, from the old fur fishing game articles or wherever they were and edited re-edited them tried to make them more understandable for modern times and then I've added in my comments and thoughts and reflections and kind of looking at how things compare today to the way they were back in Arnold's time. So, I think it'll be pretty good and if you if you read along I'm kind of I don't I'm not the kind of person that keeps a lot of stuff to myself, which I'll tell you later tonight uh, that there is something I'm going to keep to myself for a while, but I, I like to share things. So, I've, every one of those that I've written up, I've actually posted up on the website. And the plan is, the, the so basically you can read all about Walter Arnold right now. And as I complete more of them, I will add more to the site. And eventually, I'm going to build that up to the point where there's enough to put together and publish in a book, an actual physical book, and then I will have that uh, available for people to purchase. So that's coming, but I just don't have a great solid timeline on it. I apologize for taking so long, but uh, it's a work in progress for sure. Uh, My trap line, preparation, moving along. We are about three weeks away. in, in kind of a, a difficult time to catch up, I made a bunch of cable stakes. I've prepped most of my traps. Uh, I gotta do a few more things with them. I gotta make a little bit more waxed dirt. This will be my first year in more than a decade uh, trapping for coyotes. So, back to the canine line, I have a lot to learn. Uh, first, I have to remember and relearn a lot of things that I probably learned in the past and forgot. And then I have to start making new mistakes and learning new things. And it's going to be just like, uh, seems like things always go, where you do something and then you come back a little later and you realize how much of a mistake it was and you knock yourself on the side of the head and say, why on earth did I even think that was going to work? And then... All of a sudden, you don't do that again. You just think about that in the future and think, oh man, that was dumb that I even thought to try that. And you move on and you try new things and you learn and you build kind of a base of knowledge. So that's I'm kind of starting on that new base of knowledge for coyote trapping here. And the uh, regulations and everything is a, uh, everything's a lot different from when I, I started. So it's going to be a learning process. Did a little scouting the other day. I do want to have all my sites picked out and scouted uh, before opening day. And I got, I got a little bit, of that. I'm probably only gonna, I will not set more than three dozen traps. Like I may, it may be closer to two dozen, we'll see. But I've got about a dozen locations all scouted out and, and uh, ready to start digging um, at, at any time. So I've I've got a little bit more scouting to do. I I probably ought to, I ought to have probably 60 or 80 uh, set locations um, in kind of my bank to draw from, and I'm not there yet. I'm trying to figure out how to work it into something that I, I can check the line before work, and I'm not up at 3 a.m. because I I don't know as I can handle that, and then come go to work, and then come home from work, and uh, be uh, toiling away until you know, 10, 11, 12 at night and back up at 3 a.m. I, I'm, not, I'm not really excited about that prospect. So um, I, will, I will see what how things work and how much time everything takes, but I'm kind of looking for something that I can run before work at a reasonable time, maybe maybe up at 4.30 or 5 o'clock and, and run that before work and, and go into work and then skin fur in the evening. So we'll see how that goes, but I've, I've kind of got things started, and really, uh, there I'm seeing a lot of coyote sign. So that was really encouraging. There There's a heck of a lot of coyote sign for, uh, compared to what I expected. So we'll see how that translates. Who knows, I may get there, and there's all kinds of sign, but I can't catch them. I may get there, there's all kinds of sign, but there's someone else trapping, and he's doing more, more better than I am catching them. Who knows? So uh, something to work on, but the, you you got to take little small victories where you can, and uh, there is a lot of coyote sign there. So I think uh, I'm I'm headed in the right direction. I hope, and I'm, I'm trying to spread those areas out far enough to where I can. I I don't want to be hammering one road system and be you know set two dozen traps on one family of coyotes. So I'm trying to kind of spread things out in terms of of the size of say a coyote's home range of course you're going to have the dispersing animals that are coming through uh, outside of the whole home range setup but uh, i'm I'm kind of i'm trying to be within a reasonable travel distance for a morning but also you know cover multiple coyote home ranges and try to maximize my chance of, of encountering multiple animals we'll see how it goes it's going to be kind of exciting i'm looking forward to it but the crunch is on. It's getting closer, and um, gonna have to be working much harder as we get closer to that. So the early coyote season for us starts around the. It starts the twentieth of October this year, and that goes for ten days, and then we're into a regular old or ten or twelve days, and then we're into general trapping season. And the general trapping season includes basically every species. But for me, that means Martin and Fisher, and I haven't done a thing to get my Martin and Fisher line ready. I'm kind of abandoning that a little bit in favor of, of getting these coyotes done, and I, that's something where I'm going to a brand new area. I've I've driven through the area quite a bit. I kind of know the lay of the land and the terrain. I don't. The thing, the difficult thing with Martin, is. Um, Someday, some podcasts will talk about pre baiting for coyotes and, and how it can be effective. Some people like it, some people don't. Uh, I think it teaches you so much that if you can afford to do it, it's a good idea. But pre baiting for Martin is very challenging. First of all, finding Martin sign is very difficult. Coyote sign is pretty easy. You drive up and down the road, you see tracks, you see scat. Martin uh, don't exactly make it that obvious that they're around. So, martin scouting is is a challenge. Typically, when we're martin trapping or fisher, fishers are very much the same way, although you see a little more in the way of fisher tracks. But we're looking for habitat. And if the habitat looks right and you're in an area that you know has produced martin or fisher in the past, then you set the traps. And that's probably what I'll do. Really, uh, two years ago, was a very similar year to this year. There was a lot of beech nuts, a lot of feed in the woods, a lot of berries and, and seeds and everything else. And the, uh, the animals didn't come to bait very readily. Uh, most animals didn't. I'll, I'll get to that. But uh, So it wasn't the most effective in terms of figuring out where you had critters because they just came slow to everything until it really cooled down and, and uh, snow came on the ground. One thing that it was very effective at was attracting bears. And I had so many boxes torn apart by bears two years ago that I, I kind of, uh, I got very discouraged and I, I lost a lot of uh, effectiveness on the trap line because a lot of my boxes, my, my Martin and Fisher boxes were out of commission due to bears. So I, I'm probably gonna forego that this year and instead, wait until the season starts. To I'll probably get boxes out ahead of time, but I'll wait until the season starts to put bait in them and and to really um, get going. So that's Martin and Fisher. And then, of course, we have uh, when that stuff closes up, we we are left with nothing but beaver, and maybe a little bit of muskrat here and there, but but primarily beaver. So then we get the under ice beaver season, which goes all winter. So you can kind of pick your your times when you want to do that um I do have uh, another trapping uh, excursion planned and that's something I think I'm gonna I've been keeping to myself I haven't said much about it haven't said anything on the podcast but I'm going I'm going to trap somewhere this winter and you know some things some things a guy's got to keep to himself some things maybe can be a little bit sacred and I haven't uh talked about this and i probably won't talk about it until after i get back so i i won't talk much about when i'm going or where i'm going i'm going on a trapping trip that has been uh it it's kind of uh kind of a dream come true Uh, my wife calls it a trip of a lifetime i i corrected her because i i hope that this is not once in a lifetime i hope this is a regular trip (laughs) So, so I I don't know we'll we'll just have to see what happens but uh, I, I'm incredibly excited about it and it reminded me of of how healthy it is to get excited about things like that I I came I moved back to Maine and and I was involved so heavily in uh, my job and starting up a farm and a, a little bit of trapping and and a number of other things to where I, I never took a vacation in six years and you know other I'd take time off to work around the farm but that was it and this is really the first vacation I've taken and it'll be six and a half years so it, I I forgot what it was like to plan a trip and to anticipate a trip and to think about what you're going to do and look forward to it that's exciting that really is exciting and, and uh, it's I, I forgot that planning for the trip can sometimes be almost as enjoyable as the actual trip. So the planning will be exciting. The actual trip will be hopefully pretty good. Um, I'm not not going to get over uh, excited about my expectations. I'm, I'm just going to um, go into it and, uh, and uh, hope, hope for the best. But prepare for things going wrong and, and uh, tough conditions. And, and uh, then we'll see what happens. And then, of course, the exciting thing will be when I get back, sharing the trip with you guys and, and talking about all the details. And, and who knows, if I have my act together, maybe I'll have all kinds of pictures and videos and podcast episodes for you to listen to uh, from from location. <laughs> so, so that's that. Um, moving on. I have emails to go through and go over, and I don't we'll probably get through most of them today and then um maybe we'll we'll do a little bit more for next week we'll see how long it takes the first one is from Kristen she went to a convention the other day so congratulations Kristen for going to your local convention that's always an exciting thing i think it's it's one of the coolest things about you know someone someone who's a new trapper who's just getting into it going to the convention is like So you just get into trapping and there's not really anybody around you can talk trapping with. And you might have a friend or two that are into trapping, which is great, but when you go to a convention, it's it's a whole new world. Because everybody there is a trapper. Everybody there, most everybody is as passionate about trapping as you probably are, or you are going to be. And it is all trapping all the time and there's supplies and there's demos, there's things to learn, there's just excitement all over the place. So many people to talk to, so many things to learn, so many toys and supplies to buy. So so conventions are pretty awesome. And so she came back with some uh, one and a half coil spring traps and asked about uh, treating them, uh, whether she should treat them with wax or, or whatnot. And these traps are going to be used in the water for coon, and my rule of thumb for anybody who has questions about this is never wax traps that you're going to put in the water. Uh, it's not necessary in my opinion, and oftentimes waxing traps and wax in water, waxing traps that go in the water, waxing bears especially is a nightmare. But it's not necessary, and it can oftentimes make it difficult to uh, keep your trap set and it can make it difficult to have whatever particular pan tension that you want on that trap the wax can make that a little bit more challenging to achieve so don't wax them now these traps have already been degreased so they need to be treated because they're going to collect rust now you could go and set them in the water Uh, I've done this a lot of people have done this I bought some TS-85s last spring, and it was trapping season, and I set them for beaver, and I caught a couple beaver on them, untreated, just right out of the box. But they started to develop a little bit of rust on them. And a little bit of rust isn't a big deal, but when you get more and more rust, the trap, the steel starts to, um, you know, you're slowly wearing away that steel, and so, uh, you know, rust over time is going to destroy the trap, also, you know, you can that rust can, can stain on the pelt. Um, it if if the trap is going to be subsequently set on land, the rust has quite a smell to it. That's that that predators are going to sniff out. So really, the trap needs a coating around it to protect it. Typically, for any water traps, what I use is a cold dip like Speed Dip or a KBL Quick Die made by Cotz Brothers and there are a few others that you can use. But for Kristen's case, she only has a few traps. I get a couple cans of Rust-Oleum paint and spray paint them. Just, just spray paint those traps. You can, If you want to camouflage them, you can ha- get a couple of different colors, maybe like a brown and a green and a gray, and mix it up. If you just want to do one color, if you want to do straight black, that's fine. Straight brown, doesn't matter. Just get some spray paint on them, get them painted uh... the entire surface of them and you've got them protected and coated and ready to withstand weathering and to catch some fur alright short other emails i got uh... caught up with uh, vince from washington who we did the cage trapping interview with great guy Uh, another great guy greg from uh, from uh... maine caught up with him evan from oklahoma thanks for emailing in Uh, Got Duncan from Okinawa, Japan, stationed overseas, listening to the podcast. <laughs> not much trapping in Okinawa, but he's a trapper who gets his f- trapping fixed by listening uh, to this podcast, uh, among other things, I'm sure. And that's pretty awesome to know. So, so great to hear from you, Duncan. And hope you get back safe and sound. And uh, we will try not to catch all the fur here uh, while you're gone. Uh, I got an email from Brad, he's a new trapper from Illinois, and he is, he had a pretty interesting one, I think I'm going to, I actually got emails from two Brads, so we'll go into both of them, but, uh, Brad is uh, kind of a middle-aged guy, and he's an outdoorsman, but he says, my weakness has always been in the trapping department. I never looked down on trapping, was always impressed by the ability to lure an animal into a trap. My best friend and I have been working his acreage to develop it for turkey, dove, upland, and deer in west central Illinois. What we're lacking is predator control. With your podcast, has definitely helped direct me on tips and tricks for trapping. Our main course of action is to trap raccoons and coyotes. Wanted to get your input. My plan for this winter, after deer season, is to run several lines for dog-proof coon traps, then run some conibear traps using uh, cat layer boxes, followed up with some long spring traps for coon. We're also going to utilize uh, a couple of black and tan coon dogs to back clean up, and for coyotes, MB 550s and Wolf Fang setup. And he just kind of asked if if he's missing anything in terms of, you know, working on that uh, nest. Uh, predator issue or predator control in general and uh, just just kind of laying out these plans and, and just bouncing it off of me. So so kind of the way that I responded, I think that's a great idea. It's it's always exciting to hear enthusiasm in people that are getting started. And that enthusiasm can continue. I've heard, had enthusiasm from trappers who've been doing it for 50, 60 years. So uh, that that's always great. That trapping is something that uh, really brings that out in people. Now, my advice to Brad was kind of, I think it's great to be starting with coons. And the reason for that is coons are simple, they're easy to catch, the, the sets are easy to make, and you're going to get success, and you're going to be effective, and you're going to have fun. I I don't know as I'd try to jump too quickly into both coons and coyotes unless you're willing to spend a lot of time learning, uh, a lot of time working and uh, don't have incredibly high expectations. So so that's that's the whole what feasibility in terms of getting things done. If you're talking nest predators, this is something it it it's something that southern trappers have a lot more experience than us northern trappers do but my one of my understandings of how nest predation works is that you kind of if you just trap in the fall you're you're going to have animals filter back into those areas that you're trying to manage for upland game birds or or other game birds you're going to have other predators filter back in the, the months between the time you trap in fall or winter and the spring nesting season. So, you really have to have kind of a constant pressure on those predators on that property all the way through nesting season. And in order to do that, you're going to hopefully you have regulations that allow that in your state. And if you do, great, but you also have to understand that you're going to be trapping fur when it's, in a lot of times, out of season and not going to be as prime or prime at all. Maybe not even sellable when it comes to something like coon. And you're going to be working for a long period of time. So if you keep that in mind, just with that understanding, uh, that's great. Um, the big thing that, that I wanted to get across to Brad and to others in this situation is start small and have fun. Just enjoy yourself. Um, Learn, get excited, find success, and move on and advance and progress from there. And you'll get better and better every year. You'll learn more, you'll meet more people. All of a sudden, if you stick with it, in a few years you'll be like this expert trapper and other guys are gonna be asking you for advice. So I I would say just uh, enjoy yourself, uh, keep an open mind, work hard, but also just just learn a lot and don't get burned out. Had an email from Bob from New York, and he is 54 years old, been hunting and fishing with my father since I was eight. Uh, It was the cement that bound us and was the most steadfast tradition we had. We hunted small game and... Uh, run rabbits with dogs, grouse, pheasant, squirrels, and then, of course, big game with deer. Dad passed away four years ago, and to be honest, the hunting woods hasn't been the same for me. I'm a branch president for QDMA, uh, and we do field-to-fork program that instructs and takes adults that have never hunted out to mentored hunts. Last year, we had five participants, and all five took deer. We instructed them on everything from laws, ethics, biology, and hunting skills. We also taught them to process and prepare the venison. Truly field to fork. Mentoring them got me thinking. I'd always had a passing interest in trapping, but since Dad never done it, uh, I never did. With my involvement teaching these old dogs new tricks and field to fork, I decided there's never going to be a better time to do it than now. Heading into my first season, I plan on focusing on coyote, fox, and coon. I may take a stab at some muskrats, but I'm not close to any rat habitat that I know of. So I just want to let you know you've helped me get this new adventure underway, and a thank you. All right, Bob, that is awesome, awesome, awesome. I I am amazed at how many new trappers we get listening to the podcast. So anything that we can help you out with, Bob, just feel free to send me another email and I will do my best to answer that and and to help you along. That is absolutely true, Bob. You can never; it's never too late to start. There's never a better time than now to get going and get into trapping. There's all kinds of people out there to help you. There's tons of information on YouTube and on websites and and Trapper Man and everywhere else you go. Uh, there, there's lots out there. There's people that are willing to help. So come on in, guys. Anybody else that's, that hasn't trapped before that's that's listening, come on in. we got a lot of people getting started, and we need that. We need new people to get into it. And the beauty of it to me is you know, we, we talked about this in the past, uh, about the fur boom and what happened during the fur boom. The last fur boom, late 70s, early 80s, There was a lot of money in fur. There was enough money to where people who had never, hardly ever heard of trapping before all of a sudden became trappers overnight. And they were out there running around chasing fur. And everybody was trapping. Everybody. Because there was a lot of money in it. And there was a lot of theft. There was a lot of territoriality. There was a lot of fights. There was a lot of nastiness going on. And... Uh, it it By all accounts from the people who were involved in trapping during the fur boom. None of them that I've talked to wishes it back. None of them. We had a little mini fur boom here in like 2012, 2013, 2014. Uh, fur prices came up a little bit. There were a lot of people that came out of the woodwork. But it wasn't quite so bad. Um, But. The people who are getting into trapping now because we've had such a long period since 2014 of low fur prices are really people who are getting into it, in my opinion, for the right reasons. Because they love the outdoors, they're hunters, they're, they're anglers, and they, they've always had this passing interest in trapping. And it may be for wildlife management purposes, it may be to control predators, it may be just because... They think it's really cool. The whole experience about of trapping and, and harvesting animals and uh, preparing pelts and, and making that end product is something that appeals to a lot of people. And, and really one of the things that I think we underestimate is that connection with the outdoors where that hunting and fishing, it gets you there, but I think trapping takes you to the, the next level really. There's there's a whole entirely new level where you are you are learning so much about all these different fur bear species and their habitats and how to catch them and, and their their habits and their travel ways and and everything else where it it really it puts you in tune I think more than anybody else that's out in the woods. So so there are a lot of people that are attracted to that and, and want to do that and want to trap. Uh, I think I think this is great. I absolutely love hearing from you guys that are new trappers and, and are thinking of getting into trapping because uh, this makes the trapping community a better place. It really does. Having, having people like you uh, join us is is really cool. George emailed asking a few different questions. First, he was wondering about fleshing, what to use for fleshing knife and flushing beam, what the setup was. So if you go on my YouTube channel, Trapping Today, I have some videos where I flesh beaver, I flesh uh, martin, fisher, and muskrat. So there's some demonstrations there. But basically what I told George was that for smaller animals like, like mink, muskrat, uh, martin, I use, simply use a butter knife to flush them. Or, you know, you can use a butter knife, you can use something similar to that little pelt scraper things that they sell. Uh, it's, it's really simple. They're, they don't have a whole lot that needs to be flushed, and they have very thin pelts, so you don't want to get too aggressive because you will rip them. So that, that works really well. The boards for the small animals, I just use like a mink board. And and that works really well. Just a one solid board to put them on to flesh them, and then for the larger animals, you know, you can use a flushing beam. And the size of the beam that you choose is just depends on your personal preference. Really, it, it could be uh, anywhere from five inches wide to seven or eight inches wide, and it can be from f- three and a half feet long to six feet long. Uh, I think mine is. I've mentioned it before. I think mine is like five by, uh, fifty-four or something like that. Um, but anyway, that's that's a setup there. He was asking about tanning, and uh, you know about brain tanning. I really don't know much about brain tanning. I know some people who have done it successfully, but for the most part, people don't mess with it anymore. The people who do self-tan usually use the hide tanning formulas that you can buy online and I pointed George in the direction uh, where he could find those. And the best tanning video that I have seen so far, I share it with George and I'll mention it to you guys, is Coon Creek Outdoors' YouTube channel where he does a bunch of tanning and he goes through the entire process, has great instructional videos, and shows you what to use and how to do it. So I check that out. George also asked about books or DVD resources for beginners uh, getting started. And I think he mentioned something about muskrats. Again, I will say Muskrat Trapper's Guide by um, Mitchell Ricketts. That is the most comprehensive muskrat trapping book on the market, as far as I can tell. And then as far as other books to get started, really, I think the Kotz brothers, uh, Kyle's, made simple books like open water beaver trapping made simple raccoon trapping made simple he's got a whole series of those and I think those are are really the, the best that I know of as far as helping people get started in, in trapping different species so check those out at cotsbros.com and I will provide links now I had an email from John in Utah and he was asking about martin trapping in the Uinta mountains so this was a really interesting one because I've actually done this. When I lived in Utah, I did a trip out in the UNS with a fellow trapper and we we trapped for Martin for several days, stayed in the camp, and set up, put out a bunch of sets. We caught half a dozen Martin. Had one heck of an experience. It was such a beautiful area. And I'm going to save that for a future episode. Maybe next week we'll talk about Martin uh, or, if not, sometime in the future. So, uh, I'll answer John's questions. Uh, I did email him back and answer his immediate questions about Martin trapping, but uh, I will continue that and go in much better detail in a future episode. But finally, I wanted to finish up tonight's episode with an email from Brad. And I'm not going to tell you the state that Brad is in. Because it would give away a little bit too much. But he he really. he, he Brad has. We've emailed before. And uh, he's a young trapper. And he has. Uh, he's a thinker. And he, he's a sharp guy. I really enjoy hearing from him. And he brings up a pretty interesting set of. Uh, ideas here and thoughts. So I wanted to kind of read through this as much as I can and get these ideas and thoughts across to you because I think it's very important. He touches on a few things and and something that he has done to to help the trapping community and, and trappers as a whole. And, and he's kind of you know, talking about maybe encouraging others from our community to do the same thing. So I'm just going to kind of start off and, uh, and and go through this and, and see where it takes us. So Brad says, uh, this weekend my wife and I attended uh, a Trapper's Rendezvous so that she could take her Trapper's education course and get licensed. She's watched me get more and more into trapping over the past few years, and it seemed to pique her interest enough to take the class. Well, now that it's over, I'm amazed at how excited she is to get out and start trapping. Over the past three years of having my license, I've started a small nuisance trapping business and spent as much time as possible learning the craft. That's the good news. The bad news is I've been continually disappointed in the overall landscape of trapping outreach. The course she took on Saturday was poorly done, and I feel it didn't provide students with a solid grasp of the trapping culture or respect for the animals we harvest and significance of our work. Now I fully understand the difficulties we face in keeping the heritage alive, which is why I thought I would bring it to you as you have a much larger base to get in touch with. This experience has led me to start working towards becoming a trapper education instructor. As a young person with a background and degree in wildlife and fisheries, I feel a sense of responsibility to take this on and try to get more people interested in the sport, as well as to be able to bring uh, articulate descriptions of it to non-trappers. This is where I thought you may be able to help. In my opinion, one of the things the trapping community needs is more young, articulate people out there helping to teach the next generation of trappers. You know, I I couldn't agree with this more. He he absolutely hits a nail on the head. Um, we we don't have enough people um, who are who are young and who are into this that are that are willing to do what Brad is willing to do here. Um, I, he said, I was hoping if you found it appropriate to consider making a short request to your viewers and podcast listeners to go out and become instructors. The trapping education classes in my state are few and far between and the instructors are all within an identical demographic. I think if we could bolster the support of a few more young people to get active in teaching this stuff, we may be able to see a shift and increase, increase in class participants. For example, in the class Saturday, my wife was the only female and one of only three or four people under 30 years old. There were 40 seats in the class and only 17 people showed up. I'm sure you're well aware of the struggle, but I thought I'd mention it, and the ability to get even one more person out there teaching these classes and getting more people involved would be worth the time, in my opinion. I, for example, have three young people my age that have already said that when I teach a class, they'd be happy to sign up. So that's from Brad. We appreciate it, Brad. Absolutely. Um, I know I know where you're coming from, and that's a big step. Um, I w- absolutely commend you for that, for taking the time to step up and you know brad saw something that he didn't like you sit down on a course and it, you know if you understand a lot about wildlife management and fur bears, and you have to sit through the course and you hear the instructors talking and it doesn't quite sit well with you i can understand why you know you want to start teaching a course because you know what needs to be done and what needs to be said and and that's a big deal now I'm not I'm not sitting here trying to tell everybody else to go out and start taking start teaching trapper education courses because I'll be honest with you I'm not gonna go out tomorrow and start teaching trapper education course um, we all have our own ways our habits our uh, our comfort zone we all have things that we do and We all have gifts. If you have any desire to help improve things in the trapping community, if you have any desire to help get more people, not only get more people trapping, but get trappers up to a better level of understanding. Um, Get trappers to recognize why what wildlife management is, how it works. There's a, there's a lot of great instructors, and and the instructors that are out there are volunteers. They're doing this for free. And they absolutely mean well. Not all of them have a great understanding of things in, in terms of wildlife management. They all have experience trapping, almost all of them. And they're great people, and they help us get our... Courses so that we can get out trapping and get our kids out trapping. If you have something to add, one of the best things that that happened was when I took my trapper education course. A guy named Clifford Caldwell of Prescott, Maine. Uh, I I if that if I ever I don't know if I'll ever run into the guy, but if I ever do, I owe him. I owe him whatever favor he wants. Um, I I I do owe him because because. I got trapping because of that guy. He scheduled a, a special course in my little hometown with three of us, uh, so that we could get our trapping licenses. And he was teaching the course, and there were a lot of things that he uh, didn't have a full understanding of because he he wasn't in necessarily a, you know an avid trapper. And one of my buddies, his dad was an avid trapper, a very avid trapper for decades. And any time uh mister Caldwell would, would talk about something and my buddy's dad would would speak up, he'd he'd sit back and he'd let him talk. And he and he'd say, You know what, you know more about this than I do. Um let these guys know what they need to know. And what what really what we what would be ideal is if we can teach these Youngsters and these people new to trapping from a place of experience and also a place of a broader understanding of, of trapping, of the ethics around trapping, of the wildlife management side of trapping, conservation um, and how it relates to trapping, the legal issues, and put those all together in a course. And because we have limited people and limited uh, folks who have the time and, and willingness to volunteer, we don't always get that. And guys or gals take their course and they get started, and they either pick that up along the way or they don't. I, I do know somebody, and I won't say the person, I won't say the state, um, who had a very bad experience in a Trapper education course. In general, I think they're very good. But if, if you see a need, I would strongly encourage you to step up. If you are the person or if you know someone who is the person, find a way to step up or help others step up uh, to, to, to do this right. We need to do this right um, as trappers. And, and make sure that we're educating folks and, and getting them started in the right direction. So with that, thanks, Brad, very much. Uh, that's a real wake-up call for, for myself and a lot of us that, you know, there are times when, when what happened to Brad happens to all of us. And You see something and you just need to step in and do, do something. And I, I think it is a great thing that you've done. And I hope that you continue to. I hope you get going on this course, and uh, and that you continue to uh, to do this in future years, and do it right. That's that's greatly appreciated. So with that, we are all caught up. All the recent things going on, all of the listener emails. I can't believe it. There's nothing else to talk about. So, I'm going to wrap it up for tonight, and I wish you guys a great week. Keep on talking, trapping, keep on thinking, trapping. It's getting trapping season. By the way, I know a lot of you guys stopped listening because I had people last trapping season who used to email me that I haven't heard from. So, I'm sure some of you are just getting going again because trapping season's coming and you're getting into it, and you're going to listen to all the back episodes and get caught up, send me an email. Let me know you're back, because I miss you. Um, There's a few of you that I've heard from last year, and I miss you. I want to hear from you again. Keep on talking trapping, keep on thinking trapping, and we will catch you on the next episode.